0: Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 29th, we are studying Matthew chapter 6, verses 25-34. through 34. Christians serve God, not money. But that does not mean cause for anxiety. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples that this means there's no cause for worry at all. They can trust their Heavenly Father to provide everything they need to support this body and life. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchie, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here.
0: So as we get started, Pastor Heckman, give us some context here within the Sermon on the Mount. We're we're maybe towards the latter half of it now. Where are we in the sermon? Where are we in Matthew's Gospel as a whole that will help us as we dig into the text today?
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, this teaching that Jesus has falls in that Sermon on the Mount, which goes, if you look, it goes all the way back to the end of chapter four and extends uh, past this teaching that we're looking at today to uh, about the start of chapter eight, I believe. And so um, if you look at the start of the sermon for a little bit more of the immediate context, you'll see um, one of the well-known passages in Matthew's gospel is the Beatitudes, uh, especially, you know, the one he fronts all of those with, blessed, are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so he, he sets up all this teaching that follows after that with these gracious promises, you know, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, and so he's, he's with the context that comes a little bit before this, he's kind of setting up his hearers to hear all these teachings about how you respond to God's grace. Um, and this Sermon on the Mount uh, is what we call one of the five major discourses in Matthew's Gospel where um, Jesus is teaching his people uh, what it looks like to live faithfully uh, in response to God coming into the world in Christ and bringing salvation through him. And if you look even even before all of this, if you look at um, Jesus before he enters into what we call his public ministry where he's going about teaching and preaching and healing and forgiving sins and raising people from the dead and all this. Uh, There's a couple important events to keep in mind that I think really set the stage well for what we're going to hear as far as the authoritative teaching of Christ. And uh, those two events are the baptism of Jesus and then his wilderness temptation. If you go all the way back to uh, Matthew chapter 3, And then chapter four, you'll find the baptism of Jesus, which really, um, it reveals him as God's son, where God says, this is my son whom I love. And then it, you know, it anoints him to begin his public ministry because we see the spirit coming down upon him. And then, of course, as Jesus tells John, this is to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is coming into the world as the one who will bear our sins um, to fulfill God's plan of salvation, his righteousness. So then right after that, he's sent out into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, of course, for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is a really great picture because you see Jesus standing in as the faithful son of God that the people of Israel were not um, you know, the Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years, or they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, I should say, uh, as a result of not trusting the Lord. They were sinful. They did not fulfill God's law. And so in steps Jesus, uh, as he's just been identified clearly as God's son, and he steps into the wilderness in place of Israel perfectly, uh, tempted 40 days and 40 nights without sinning. Uh he's the faithful son of God that Israel wasn't. And so you take these two events and you see that here's Jesus not only his identity as the Son of God, um, but this is also paving the way for you know his authority, it's establishing his authority to say what he's gonna say in this Sermon on the Mount and these other discourses, um, you know, preaching, teaching, and all these things he's doing. Um, and you can see especially that authority in phrases like, you have heard it said, and then he says, but I say to you. So he's speaking very authoritatively here, and that kind of that gives, I think, the people some confidence listening to these teachings. Uh, this, this guy is the real deal. Uh, you know, obviously, they didn't quite fully realize that yet, but I think those are a couple of important events to um, set up the context. And then one, one more thing real quick, um, I love that as Jesus is moving into this teaching on don't be anxious and don't cling to worldly or earthly possessions, uh, just prior to that, we find the Lord's prayer, uh, another very important part of this Sermon on the Mount. And of course, in six verse 11, he says to pray, give us this day, our daily bread. So before he tells them, you know, worrying can't help anything. He directs them, you know, instead of worry, you can bring, bring this, um, you know, anxiety or worry or your needs before God in prayer by uh praying for daily bread. Um so that context leading into it I, I think really helps us understand um what Jesus is really working towards here in terms of addressing all the worries
0: we have. Mm-hmm. The the Lord's prayer too, I, I think the very two first two words that Jesus gives in the Lord's Prayer help provide some context as well that he would invite us to pray to our Father. And mm-hmm. he's ar- he's just gotten done talking about you know, who is who are you who are you going to serve? Who is your master? And and there's even maybe a, a bit of I mean, it's a word that I think triggers us as Americans, if I can say that. Slavery. You know, when we talk about masters, there's this mm-hmm. matter of slavery. But this is a, a concept in the Bible that maybe we don't hear it correctly as Americans, but slavery and the idea of serving a master is in the in the background here as well. Who are you going to serve? Money or your father who is in heaven there that's a, a bit of context as well i think that that might help us too
1: yeah exactly and um right 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 before this passage even like you said it's the the passage about laying up treasures in heaven rather than you know laying them up where moth and rust destroy or thieves steal um the idea of slavery it really goes back to you know, Jesus framing this as a heart issue, and you think about, you know, it really relates well to that commandment, the first commandment, you shall have no other God. Uh, when you think about it, the the things you treasure, even the things you worry about, you might say they have your heart, uh, which could be understood to mean the things that you ponder and are anxious about, they, they consume your time your energy, you know, your thoughts, your focus, your desires, and they're, they're constantly capturing your attention. And this is really what Luther gets at when he's talking about having a God. You know, we fear, love, and trust in something, and the more you worry about your possessions, the more that becomes, you know, the treasure that Jesus is saying should be himself. Um, and even if you look at Romans chapter 6, Paul frames this in terms of we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And I think what he's getting at there is um, we have been freed from the curse of sin. We are no longer condemned uh, to eternal damnation. Um, And so now our new reality is you, you know, you don't serve these things. You rather get to serve the Lord. You know, that's what he means by slaves to righteousness. And um it really sets it up so well you know if you if you serve things or possessions, you become enslaved to them, but really being a, a great kind of uh, way to use the phrase when you're a slave to jesus you're really free you know you're free from all these things causing you anxiety so um yeah I think the 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 slavery aspect coming into it is is good to ponder not in terms of what we normally think about it with our American context, but what does the scripture say about it and how does that help us understand what Jesus is teaching here.
0: With that context, let's go ahead and hear what Jesus has to say. We're in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Jesus continues, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So, Pastor Heckman, Jesus here says, don't be anxious about your life, and he talks about what you'll eat, what you drink, about your body, your clothes. So, it sounds like he's talking a lot about our needs, but not necessarily our wants. What's Jesus getting at?
1: Yeah, so, I think he's trying to reframe how we typically think about uh, the necessities of Of life and that contrast between need and want it it seems like it should be you know basic and and simple to understand but with our sinful nature we often uh, confuse needs with wants and wants with needs the other way around and I think this is really why he frames it with that phrase in the Lord's Prayer daily bread that can really help us understand Jesus' distinction uh, between, you know, what you need and what you want. So what we want is often things that are extravagant, things that are maybe nice to have, but not necessarily something we really need, you know, the the expensive car or home or, you know, the the food we eat, the clothes we wear, things like that. And so when, when I think about the phrase daily bread, I think, you know, Jesus could have used any number of images for that, you know, daily, you know, whatever it would be. I'm not exactly familiar with what foods would have been extravagant back then, but, you know, you might think about it now as, you know, he didn't say daily steak or uh, daily five course meal or something, but he said daily bread because, you know, bread is simple. It's not glamorous or flashy. It's just, it's what you need to get through the day, simple daily sustenance. Um, and when Luther talks about this uh, in, in the Confessions, he expands on it a little bit. He talks about things like food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, spouse, children, things like that. And I think he's, he's not guaranteeing that's exactly what Jesus means when he's talking about your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He's saying it may include that. And I think he's trying to reorient us to think, um, you know, the world sells you all kinds of things. It says, you need this latest phone, you you need these, you know, fancy shoes, you need all of this. But Luther, you know, and especially Jesus, is bringing us kind of back to earth, saying, uh, think this way about what you need. Um, God knows. And you don't necessarily know that. You know, we have all kinds of things that come up in our lives where... Uh, perhaps it's um, a health issue where we feel the need to be better to receive healing. If it's a money issue, we, we feel like we need more money, uh, more of this, more of that. But this is such a, a comfort because Jesus says, whatever you need, God knows that already. Uh, your heavenly Father who loves you knows this, uh, this group of things you need, and it's his promise that he'll give it to you. Um, and that was, it was really neat hearing Luther talk about the Lord's Prayer, and you were saying even the first phrase that it's fronted with, our Father, uh, he had a lot of trouble even getting past that first phrase because it, it was so moving to him that his heavenly Father, uh, it was his Father, and his Father, just as a good Father, loves his children and gives his children what they need, that's exactly... Uh, the nature of our Heavenly Father. He knows our needs and gives them to us. Um, And this really, I I think, in a lot of ways can stand in contrast to even things that are preached within churches today, especially in America. We call it sometimes the prosperity gospel, where it's preached that uh, the Lord simply wants you to have, you know, everything you want, you know, uh, great health, wealth, all this stuff, um, exorbitant blessings. And you might say, you know, wants, not needs. And all you have to do is, you know, have enough faith, claim them, uh, name them and claim them from God. But that that gets us away from, I think, what Jesus is talking about here. It's, you know, Jesus never guarantees we're going to be prosperous. In fact, he guarantees um, hardship for those who follow him. He he never says you're never going to be in want, you're never going to be in need. But what he does promise is this, uh, if there's something you need, the Heavenly Father will not fail to give it to you, and whatever that is, we don't know. But that's such a comfort knowing that, you know, if if I don't have something, it's not because I don't have enough faith or because I haven't demanded it from God. It's simply because the Lord knows if I need it or not, and if I need it, He'll bring it along at the perfect time.
0: Well, this is such a comforting passage; uh, it really is. And I, I think you see a bit of a a shift in tone on Jesus' part here. It the the effect is not he's he's not beating you over the head saying quit worrying stop it or else but but rather there's i think there's a, a little bit of a perhaps a little bit of poking fun going on here what's the what's the tone that jesus is using throughout this passage pastor heckman
1: yeah that's exactly right and if you look at uh some of those phrases toward the middle of the passage uh, i guess it's towards the front and the middle um, you pay attention to what Jesus tells them to look at. You know, starting in verse 26, what's the first thing he directs their attention to? He says, "Look at the the birds of the air. You know, they they don't worry, they don't sow, they don't reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them." So I think the tone here is is almost, you might say, poking fun or teasing, kind of like, uh, you know, if you're if you're a parent. And I, I have a 10 month old son now, so I can <laughs> I haven't gotten to that teasing point because he wouldn't, he wouldn't understand it anyway. But you know, sometimes parents have this way of teaching their children where you, you know, if, if they're complaining about something they don't need to complain about, or if they're, you know, anxious or doing something they're not supposed to be doing, you can, you can take a bunch of different methods to deal with that. You, you know, you might say, stop worrying, stop doing that. Uh, or you can, you know, gently show them that, you know, what you're doing is kind of silly. You know, if, if uh, you know, two siblings are fighting over something and screaming at each other and, and worrying about this, you can, you know, some parents will stop and say, okay, how, how, how do you sound when you say this? And, you know, and then they'll say, well, not not very nice or something like that and it's sort of a gentle teaching rather than you know yelling saying quit it and like you said jesus could have just yelled and said quit worrying he gently shows his people you know this is it's it's kind of a silly thing to worry about stuff because it can't help anything so if you look at these things you know you might you might look at these phrases and and think of you know What's, what's, you might say, the preaching of the birds and the preaching of the lilies of the field? Uh, do they worry? Um, do uh, do birds worry? No, but they have food to eat. Uh, does grass worry? No, you don't look outside and see grass worrying, but it's clothed with splendor. Um, or even, you know, Jesus might say, you know, look look at a person who is, you know, lived a long life and you know do you really think and look at them and say wow they must have lived for so long because they worried all the time um, or even some some people translate it you know who of you by worrying can add a cubit to his height now and a lot of people don't necessarily take it that way but that kind of resonates with me because there's you know a point in my life where um, I have a younger brother uh, who is about a year and a half younger than me And, of course, as every older brother thinks, you know, younger brothers aren't supposed to be taller than you, right? So about, you know, age 12, and my brother was about 10, or maybe a little later, uh, he starts catching up to me in height. And so what do I do? I, you know, anytime he's around, I start walking around on my tiptoes, because I'm, I'm worrying, you know, this guy's catching up to me. And of course, it didn't do anything, you know, it, it didn't make me any taller, didn't make me any more relaxed. And so even though it's not necessarily what he's talking about, he's Try talking a little bit more about you can't extend your life. The whole point is think about what worrying actually accomplishes—nothing. Um, think about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. You know, do they worry? No. And even though this can't uh, do anything, we still we still tend to worry because you know when maybe we don't think about it, we don't stop to think what is this actually doing. And that's I think what Jesus is really gently and, and helpfully doing for us here. He's just laying it out, saying, here's, here's what you should think about uh, in terms of if, if you worry about, will I be provided for? Just look at things that are so much less important than you, and God even provides for them. Um, and especially with the, you know, the lilies of the field being clothed uh, with more glory than Solomon, uh, I, I looked up you know in in the scriptures and then even uh, some economists took a look at this and they thought Solomon's net worth would modern day equivalent would be about 2 trillion dollars and that's just in gold um and if you look at all of his possessions second uh, chronicles 9 has a, a kind of a list of that in verses 13 through 29 he had fleets of ships he had gold, cups, and utensils. He had robes and weapons and spices, and uh, he had 16,000 horses. And and so whether or not this picture would have just exploded into the mind of his hearers, I'm not sure. But looking at, you know, if Solomon had all of this, and God clothes even lilies more gloriously than them, you know, with the basic needs, which are more important than gold or silver... How much more will he take care of you so this this little bit of teasing you know jesus jesus does have a sense of humor but he uses it to build us up rather than to tear us down and he uses it to encourage us to to really stop and think about what worrying accomplishes which is nothing and the alternative is just gentle uh trust in the lord to provide for our needs
0: it's it's very ironic, because not only does worrying not add anything to your life in terms of years, in fact, it, if anything, it, it would take away from that span of life. So so worrying does not accomplish anything. And I think one of the struggles that, that we have in general, I know it's a struggle for me, is distinguishing worry and work. Because I, Jesus wants us to work, right? I mean, so... So right. there's there's got to be a difference between those two, and I think sometimes we have a hard time seeing where that is. So Pastor Heckman, help us to distinguish between worry and work.
1: Yeah, that's a very important distinction to make because um, it's it's not as though Jesus is saying here when he says don't worry. he He's not saying don't care about things. There's a big difference between... Um, the care that goes in, that comes along with our work, and um, the anxiety that comes with this worry. So I, I kind of map this out a little bit. And this, this is helpful when I think about it. Um, just a few distinctions that you can make. Uh, worrying, the first thing that's that's different. Worrying tends to fixate on trouble, and work tends to fixate on Christ. And the work he is doing, and, and the gifts that he has for us, and his promises and his words. So, rather than fixating on a crisis and 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 thinking you know things can't get better, we we fixate on Christ and his promises, which leads to um, our vocation. Um, and and worry. Another aspect of worrying tends to leave us either paralyzed or overworking. Uh, maybe inactivity is one thing that worry leads you to because you're so worried about things. You're, they consume your thoughts. You feel like you can't do anything else. Um, or you feel like, okay, if I, if I just try hard enough with something, if I just work harder, if I do this or that, then I'll have what I need. And that's, that's not necessarily what, what we should be doing. Rather, um, the opposite of that, the work it comes in vocation, um, you know you're active in your vocations when when the lord tells you rest in the promises of god to provide for you it doesn't mean okay well i'll just sit down and, and wait for god to bring these things into my life that's god calls us to be active as you know husbands and wives and, and parents and coworkers um to go out and do the work he has for us and then we um Because of that, instead of, and this is kind of the third distinction I make, uh, we no longer, you know, worry has us kind of assume the worst-case scenario is going to happen. We worry it kind of compounds, like, well, if I don't have this, then this isn't going to come, and then this bad thing is going to happen, and we sort of project these things into the future. But when you're active in your vocation, you're trusting that I'm going to do the work that God has called me to do, and I'm assuming, rather than the worst-case scenario, I'm going to assume that God's gracious work will be in play uh, in my life, which is a hope and a trust rather than a fear. Um, so really, I, I think the big difference, like you said, between worrying and work is really uh, being active in our vocations and trusting in the promises of God uh, so that you know whatever we do or don't accomplish, that does not negate... Uh, God's ability to provide for us Um, he will give us what we need and that gives us a platform uh, to go out into the world and and simply you know joyfully live our lives you know go about our everyday lives knowing that you know I I'm here you know not to worry I'm here to do the work that the gracious work that God has sent me into the world to do Um, and instead of worrying I just get to I just get to live and I just get to trust in the Lord and, and watch for His promises and with joy experience those when the Lord decides to bring those into my life. So a really, really good distinction to make between worrying and working. Uh, one, you know, you, you, you don't want to neglect what God gives you to do. Not worrying does not mean not doing anything. It's simply um, trust in the Lord, not in yourself, and go out and do what he's called you to do.
0: You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're looking at Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Wednesday, January 29th, we are studying Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34 with Pastor Joel Heckman of St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we were distinguishing work and worry, and Jesus gives some Insight into this matter of worry He talks about what the Gentiles seek after I think you used the the term We fixate on things And the Gentiles fixate They seek after what they're going to eat What they'll drink What what they're going to wear here So so what's the, the contrast that Jesus is drawing here Between Gentiles on the one hand And his disciples on the other
1: Yeah, so he uses the word seek And you can take that as a really It's representing kind of an ongoing, earnest, all-consuming activity for people who aren't living under the Father's care, who aren't living, resting on the promises of God, Um, and you see it a a great deal in our modern world where we talk, I think I mentioned a little bit before, um, how advertisements affect us and how we're sold these things we're we're set we're told that you need this and your life is not okay if you don't have it you know it'll be difficult and inconvenient and uh, you really need x y or z um and you see the consumerism we have in our culture where um there's a, a really interesting statistic um about self storage rental uh, space in our country. Uh, and the the stat says there's 2.3 billion square feet of self storage rental space in the United States and the industry itself makes $38 billion a year. And it's not slowing down at all. It's actually growing rapidly uh, for places to put our possessions. Um, and it's this sort of pursuit of the accumulation of things, you know, whatever they may be. Uh, and someone once phrased that, you know, rather than owning our possessions, our possessions are be beginning to own us. Uh, and that's, I think, what Jesus has in mind here when he's drawing a contrast between those who um, rest under the Father's care and those who have no such promises. Um, part of that consumerism is assuming that, you know, this life is it. Uh, you know, if you come from kind of a naturalistic uh, evolutionary standpoint, uh, you're an accident on this earth. Uh, you have X number of years that you have to get as much enjoyment out of as possible. So uh, you want to make as much money as you can uh, because money can buy temporary enjoyment with things. Um, and you'll you'll live your life pursuing that. Uh, just kind of like Jesus says in another place, uh, the love of money is... A root of all kinds of evils. Um, and Gentiles seek after that earnestly. Um, and sadly, you know, even though Jesus draws this contrast, I know many, many Christians, if if not every Christian in, at some point in their life, falls into this trap, you know, living just as Jesus says we're not supposed to live here. Um, Asking those questions: What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Uh, and it becomes such an important thing that those things are things we start to love more than our Lord. Um, almost as we we talked about that con- um, that concept of slavery earlier, where the more you want these things, the more they have power over you, um, and you become consumed by them to the point where they become your identity. Uh, And this is where the difference comes in. I I really think this is where it it really is clear is when we find our identity not in things, uh, not in what we eat, not in the number in our bank account or, you know, whatever we might find comfort in apart from Christ, we find our identity in Jesus himself. Because what what does paul say we've been baptized into his death and resurrection um, and that that is our f- first and foremost what defines who we are as god's people as we have been saved by grace through faith from our sins uh, from sin's curse it's been lifted from us um, we now no longer have the sentence of condemnation but the sentence of life and uh... paradise ahead of us and even then uh, it's not just that. It's not kind of a thing where, you know, we, we say, okay, Christ has won me salvation, and I kind of just slog through this life, uh, not really caring about what God tells me to do, or, you know, maybe I ignore that. Um, we say, even in this life, we can we can be at peace with this baptismal identity because it points us back to the promises of God that as we continue to live as his people— God provides those things that everyone else in the world is, is running after so, you know, so earnestly. We say, okay, you know, there's all these things out there, and and the world says I need them, but I'm not going to listen to advertisements, or, or the I'm not going to look at the lives of my friends and be envious. I'm going to look at what does Christ say here? Um, we don't need to do that um the the phrase it's such a huge comfort your heavenly father knows that you need them all um and we say god is not ignorant of those things we need um so we have christ we have his righteousness we have his promises um and we have our heavenly father who knows our needs and will not fail to provide for them so that's really the difference um, and it's a really beautiful thing when, when we stand out as people who don't need to be pursuing these earthly possessions. We, we can rest and, and be at peace and, and let that be a, a testament to God's promises that um, we don't need these things. Uh, God, God knows the difference between a need and a want, and I'm going to rest in that rather than letting the pursuit of possessions consume my life um and that that really is such a great antidote to this worry and anxiety that uh, other people have so it's resting in that promise of jesus
0: and and in that rest in the promise of jesus in the identity that comes from him rather than our things jesus does speak of his disciples seeking but rather than seeking after what they'll eat or drink or wear jesus invites his disciples to seek after the kingdom of God. And, and this is a, a big, big topic for Matthew. Jesus mentions it very, very often in, within mm-hmm. the gospel. So what is this kingdom of God that Jesus' disciples are to seek?
1: Exactly. So this is, yeah, this is a, a great topic in Matthew. I I think it's mentioned almost 50 times throughout the book, that phrase, the kingdom of God, or some people phrase it, the reign of God. Um, So to seek that, you kind of have to ask, well, what what is the reign of God? What is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Um, And we look at it as um, really a couple different things, both it's an act of God, And it's a place where God calls us to go. So if if the reign of God is understood as an act of God, you might think of it this way. Um, it's, It's God working in creation through Jesus Christ to restore what sin has corrupted? Uh, he is doing things in Jesus, even even now in this reading, as as Jesus is teaching. God is working through Christ to restore uh, even even what worry and anxiety uh, destroy, uh, but more more what sin destroys, and He's He's making creation new through Jesus. So if you think about it, uh, when when a king is ruling over his kingdom. Uh, you ask, what is he going to do to establish his reign in that kingdom? And he, he goes out and does things. He, um, he visits his subjects. Um, as you, know, you think about God coming to earth in Christ, uh, he goes out and conquers his enemies. Christ came and conquered uh, Satan and sin and death. Um, God, uh, in his act of reigning in the world, uh, provides for his people just as a king provides for his people. He protects them, delivers them from harm and danger. And and basically, in short, when you think about the reign of God as as an act of God in creation through Jesus, um, God is establishing his reign, you know, reestablishing his reign over the creation and reversing what sin has done in this creation to the point where uh, when Christ comes again, that renewal and that reversal will be complete because he'll completely eradicate that sin and death. Um, And then if you think about the reign of God as a place, too, um, when Jesus says, uh, seek the, the kingdom of God, the reign of God and his righteousness, you say, how do you do that? Well, the simplest way to think about it is go To the places where God has promised to be in Jesus, which we would say are God's Word um, and His sacraments, uh, where they're purely preached and uh, properly administrated. So if you think about, okay, where can I go to find the reign of God uh, in this world? Where can I go to find the righteousness that God gives to me? you go to where God is promised to be present. So you think about uh, where the Word of God is preached, um, and according, you know, according to the Scriptures, purely, uh, that's that's in God's house, where you know you hear God's Word read, you hear it preached by the pastor, you hear it taught in Bible study. That's seeking that reign of God and righteousness because through that teaching and preaching. God is uh, forgiving our sins. God is healing us. God is teaching us about who he is. Um, and that's one place to seek it. And then you think about uh, God promises to be present in baptism. Uh, so when someone is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see God present and at work there because as Scripture promises, baptism now saves you. And uh, As Peter says in that Pentecost sermon, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So again, a place where God has promised to be is in holy baptism, which is not is again not just something that happens once in your life and you forget about it. Uh, I mean, you only get baptized once, obviously, but you remember that one time event throughout your life. Uh, you draw comfort from the righteousness that God has given you in your baptism, the forgiveness and salvation. And then, of, of course, a uh, beautiful way that God is present in Christ um, is in the Lord's Supper you know where, where is Jesus promised to be uh, well look no further than the Lord's Supper uh, on Sunday mornings um, Jesus says this is my body this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins and he is there in that supper uh, his presence is clear and powerful because he promises to be there uh, so, you know, just think about it this way. Um, you know, think about something. If, you, if you've if you lost your keys, where are you going to look? It's the places you expect to find them. You know, maybe the key hook or your pockets or the kitchen counter or something like that. You're not going to look in, you know, your refrigerator or shower or the attic or anything like that. So in the same way, uh, when Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, like, okay, where am I going to look for that? in the places he's promised to be, um, in word and in sacrament. And I think that's really what Jesus is getting at. He's he's saying, uh, look at what God is doing in me to restore this creation and then go seek me where I've promised to be in my word and in my sacramental gifts for you.
0: I think the thing that ties both of those things together when we think about God's reign, both as an activity and and then a place where, where we would find the thing that ties that together is the presence of the king. This is this is where the king is. It's what he's doing. And and that, that helps tie those two things together. So the fact that that in Christ, God reigns as king, that that the kingdom has come in him, what's the what's the comfort for us in that news, Beth trackman
1: oh yeah that's a great uh, great question there's a lot of comfort to be had in that that even just a little phrase there that I think it's really easy to gloss over. so you think about it i I think three reasons come to mind that we can find comfort in this. Um, first, you think about uh, the kingdom of heaven is for you, you know that phrase uh, you know is is guaranteed that, that Jesus didn 't just come for other people, he came for you, you know he came to save you. From your sins God sent Jesus into the world to reign and rule uh, for you so it's it's not something that you know it's something for someone else you know I'm you know I'm too sinful no God has forgiven your sins in Christ and he does this for you so that's that's a really important thing to remember uh, second it it really solidifies the fact that God is still in control which is a reminder I think we need every single day Because look at the chaos and decay in our world. Um, Some people uh, describe, you know, one pastor described this um, tendency we have to do something called look-aroundism. So you look around in the world, you see disease, you see war, you see famine, you see death, and it's really easy to think that God is no longer ruling or reigning in the world. Um, And each week we really need that assurance that, you know, God, in spite of what I see around me, in spite of what seems contrary to what you're saying, I need that assurance that you are still reigning, that Jesus is still on his throne. Um, And really when we seek the righteousness of God in that place, uh, in worship uh, where God promises to be, um, that's that reminder. That's, I mean, we, we receive reminders throughout the week, obviously, um, but when we have that reminder through God's Word um, that says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, uh, and we have that reminder that our sins are forgiven, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, uh, when the pastor speaks it in the absolution, "I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that 's also a reminder that God is still forgiving sins, God is still healing uh, what our sin tears down, um, and He is still ruling and it's a it's a great reminder that um, that God is still reigning and ruling over the world in Christ in spite of all this chaos, and Satan wants us to think opposite. He wants us to fixate on these things and, of course, worry about it. Um, But being in God's word, being with God's people and receiving God's gifts are those powerful reminders that God is still in control. And I think a final one to remember, too, and this is maybe not something that's quite as directly tied to it, but I think it's really important, is that the creation still matters. Um, God would not send Jesus into his creation to redeem all of it if God... He didn't care about it, or if it didn't matter. And a really great reminder of this is if you go to Romans chapter eight, where Paul talks about uh, the whole creation groans awaiting that renewal that he's talking about—the the full redemption that Christ will bring when He returns, um, because. You know, as God sent Christ into the world, that was a definitive statement, among, you know, among other things, that this creation matters. It is still God's creation. He still cares about it. And at the consummation of the age, at the end of all things, He's going to make all of it new, um, even our own bodies. Um, and that's an important thing to remember, too. Um, our bodies experience this decay. Our, our bodies experience the terrible effects of sin um, and you know, there's, there's been teachings that, you know, will rise as, you know, just, just spiritual beings, you know, or angels or something, but, but that's not what the scripture says at all. Um, Paul says in Romans 8, we await the redemption of our bodies along with the renewal of all creation. Uh, and so, it, it's not, again, it's not just something that where we, we wait around for that. We say, oh, great, that's, that's wonderful, but, you know, what do I do now? That's where vocation comes back into it. Um, if this creation matters... Which it does, and if God has us still here in this creation uh, to do His work, that's what—that's what we do while we wait. Um, God renews this creation through us. He puts it back together through. Um, our callings when we uh, take care of one another. You know, a simple thing like a a doctor mending a bone, that's God putting the creation back together through us. Or uh, husbands and wives uh, forgiving one another when they sin against each other. That's God putting the creation back the way it's supposed to be. So we we look forward to the day when uh, sin and death and uh, all this brokenness will be completely eradicated, uh, knowing that that's God's promise. But we also take comfort in the fact that God is still working in creation, that He still rules over the creation. He's still working through us for His purposes, um, and we rest in that fact as we wait uh, for that full renewal.
0: I, I think that last point about that creation matters, that, that vocation matters, is is an important point to make here in this passage in particular, because perhaps the temptation exists within this where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that we would spiritualize that and, and seek that in things that are non-material or seek that by trying to escape this world in some way. The, the, some of the things that the Lutheran confessions say about the practice of monasticism, I think apply to that so that in our vocations, as we serve our neighbors in love, doing these things that God has given us to do that is a part of seeking the kingdom of God, living in his word. So I, I, I think that that's an important point to make, even even here in this context, Pastor Heckman. Feel free to respond to that if you want, but, but also just as we're, we're sort of winding down here, we've got about just under seven minutes left. I want you to, to we've, we've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount and and how this functions in the life of the Christian. Does this function as law? Does it function as gospel? Is there a bit of both? I think we want to think about that with, with this passage as well. Go ahead, Pastor Eggman.
1: Yeah. So I would say it's both really here because what is the law? It is it's God's will for his creation. It's it's God um God's will for us as we live our lives. So the law tells us what what to do, you know, and, and we see that in here. Seek the reign of God. Uh don't worry, don't be anxious. So it, it's God calling us to live uh, life the way he wants it to be lived and of course the law also shows us what we haven't done you know we we don't always seek the reign of god Uh, we often worry and let anxiety cloud out the promises of god Uh, we we seek other things more than we seek his reign we think other things are more precious so in a very clear sense it is law uh, but it's also very beautiful gospel too uh, because what does what does Jesus say? He doesn't say seek first the reign of God and your righteousness. Um, he says seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is yours already by faith in Christ. And even even if it is a, a very little faith, as you know, Jesus says, um, you know, you're going to worry about this, so you have little faith um, at various times uh, in His teaching. But even, even with that little faith, there is faith, and that is created through the work of God, um, and that is righteousness. Um, because, you know, God is someone who has given back to you. We, we don't get that ourselves. You know, our good works are, are not what earn us God's favor. Um, the work of Jesus on our behalf um, has been given to us in faith. So that's really the gospel here is um, the righteousness is something that you have been given. Now, um, we still do, uh, obviously, we respond to that uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit with, you know, seeking the reign of God and being active in vocation, but um, that's not the, the source of our confidence. That's not the source of our comfort. Uh, the gospel here is that the righteousness of God has been given to you in Christ Jesus, um, and that's really the, the whole reason we don't have to worry about anything. Uh, we don't have to fear anything. We, we don't have to go into the day worrying, you know, okay, Jesus told me to seek his His righteousness. Have I done that enough? Jesus has told me not to worry, but I worried today. I was anxious, you know, and then the, you know, the the law weighs on us. And maybe doubt can creep in, you know, it, does God still love me? You know, am I still saved? And then we go back to the promises of our baptism where uh, we are saved not by our works, not by what we do or don't do, but what Christ has done for us. And that, I think, is the big one of the big Gospels in here. In addition to the fact that God promises to provide for our needs, uh, the greatest need has already been provided for us by God. Uh, our, our first and foremost need is for the forgiveness of sins. We're sinners who need forgiveness um, and deliverance from sin, death, and hell. And that's something that the Lord has already done in christ uh... and he continues to forgive our sins week in and week out um, through you know through his his pastors through the the lord's supper through that absolution and through even the forgiveness we speak to one another so that's that's the gospel here god <clears throat> not only will provide for those needs even when you are anxious and worry um... but most most of all God has provided the greatest need you'll ever have and the forgiveness of sins and salvation. So I think that's where the law and gospel really are are great to pay attention to here and, and can bring a, a whole lot of comfort.
0: Pastor Heckman, we have just about two minutes left on the morning. Can you wrap the text up for us and give us a summary of everything we've talked about today?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so again, uh, Jesus, Jesus is teaching here. Uh, he's teaching us gently. Um, to reflect on, you know, as worry follows us around, as we continue to worry about, you know, will I have this, will I have that, it's first and foremost a reminder that worry doesn't accomplish anything. Um, It it doesn't get us a longer life. It doesn't, you know, put more money in the bank. It doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, And the alternative, uh, you know, really the antidote to worry, you might say, is resting in the promises of God and uh, using that as a, a foundation to go out and live life uh, in your vocations without worry, uh, because the Lord, it's a promise. He, he will provide for what you need. He knows your needs. God isn't unaware of those. And, of course, He provides the greatest thing any of us ever need in the forgiveness of sins and salvation in Jesus. So we get to go uh, freely and, and with without the burden of, of all this worry and say, you know, I may not have everything I think I need, or maybe I want, but I have what the Lord wants me to have, and He knows better than I do what I need. And I can trust that His, his promise is sure. God doesn't break promises. He keeps them. Um, and Jesus... Uh, is the assurance of that. Um, God raised him from the dead just as he promised he would. Um, He sent him to save me from my sins just as he promised, and so even these day-to-day things, of course God can take care of those, and we wait with um, trust and hope in our Lord and his
0: promises. Pastor Joel Heckman is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchie, Oklahoma, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Pastor Heckman, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Of course. Thank you, Tim. It was great being on.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.